first of all, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the episode. Today we are discussing the readings for Christmas. We're finally here, finally at the, the end of Advent and beginning of Christmas season, Christmas tide. Remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please like, comment, share, subscribe, leave us a review to all the things. Also, if you enjoy this podcast and would like to ask us a question, please email us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. We'll answer the question on the podcast. But first, the sacred and the profane. So we're entering right after Christmas, we'll have the octave. Mm-hmm. And there's some pretty big feast days in the octave. There's or, or some pretty interesting ones, I would yes. say, right so, after Christmas. Yes. So just like um, this is one of the two octaves that we celebrate in the new calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, an octave meaning that um, we celebrate... That's solemnity for eight days, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, one day is not enough to contain the, the, the mystery, to just, you know, to dwell in it, right? Um, the church appropriately gives us uh, an extended period of time to celebrate um, the great solemnity. Um, and so, first of all, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And Merry Christmas to all our listeners. Yeah, um, yeah so... Right after, like you said, right after um, the 25th, after Christmas, we enter into this octave, and it is full of great feast days. Um, immediately uh, following Christmas, the 26th, we celebrate the Feast of St. Stephen, Stephen, uh, the first martyr. Um, then we have John, uh, John the Evangelist, the Apostle. We have the Feast of the Holy Innocents, uh, and then... Uh, next week we'll celebrate uh, the Feast of the Holy Family. And all of these feast days, I think, are directly related to the Feast of Christmas, um, which is why they're given to us during the octave. The first martyr. Um, and so, just as our Lord became man, God became man, um, and, you know, as the church fathers would say, he was uh, born to die, in a sense, um, that is what inspires the martyrs now with their great love of, of, of God because he, they have been shown God's love, able to give their lives up in a similar manner. Uh, Stephen being the first example of that. Um, yeah, I always thought that the, the feast of St. Stephen right after Christmas, you know, it's like you have this great feast day of Christ's incarnation. It's very joyful, very happy, and then immediately... The stoning of like, Satan. Yeah, the stoning <laughs> of, of somebody, you know, our first martyr. Yeah. It's like very jarring. But I do think it's maybe, maybe it's supposed to be symbolic of, you know, Christ kind of came bring came to bring the sword. Like there's a, uh, a division that causes, right. you know, yes, the incarnation is very beautiful and a cause for great rejoicing. However, it does bring this this new dynamic, though, of of division. Yeah. Right? That there are yeah, those who true. follow Christ, and those who follow Christ may do so to the to their death, right, or to the death, right. Because Christmas, um, the incarnation has really um, changed the entire world order, which we'll get into yeah. um, as we discuss um, Christmas Day. Um, but naturally, that's going to leave some angered, right, upset. Um, there's going to be a lot of dissension, um, and so that's a very good point. Is that um, 
this feast is as as uh, joyous as it is. It's also very divisive, um, naturally, yes. like naturally so. And so we see that in um uh in, in the life of Saint and and life and death of Saint Stephen. Um, moving on to the next day, immediately after, we celebrate the uh, feast of Saint John, the uh, apostle and evangelist. Um, now he's uh, the great famous uh, introduction to a gospel. In the beginning was the word, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that's just uh, celebrating his feast day during the octave is just very um, apropos, <laughs> as they would say. Um, and then the next day, the feast of the Holy Innocents, those who were killed under Herod um, by his decree to kill any any boy under two years old uh, within his kingdom. Uh, in hopes that he would snuff out the king that would supplant him, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, in a sense, those holy innocents gave their lives up for Christ, right? So, right. Um, that's a very that's a very horrific feast. <laughs> yes, yeah. You're saying the I mean, Saint John the Evangelist obviously doesn't die a martyr's death, but he is kind of in between the first martyr and then these. Um, these other martyrs, the holy innocents, they're, they're classified as martyrs. Maybe, you know, they, they, in a sense, are the first, I think it was a Fulton Sheen or somebody said, you know, they're the first martyrs for Christ. Yeah. That they, they died because of Christ in mm-hmm. some ways. So, yeah, we have the, the first martyr of the church proper, and then we have the first martyrs before the church proper. But then in between, we have, as some people like to call them, kind of a, a martyr of the soul, right? Like, yeah. He dies in exile. St. John dies in exile. Right. But still dies kind of of love, right? He's, yeah. he's the beloved disciple. He's he's um, the one who writes so lofty of, of Christ and his mission. Yeah. High theology. High theology, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and so, again, just during that octave of Christmas, very fitting um, feast days. So. We're good. I think this episode we're going to do a little bit more thematic readings i guess and yeah and yeah. going through the readings because there's, there's many options so many options yeah there's many options for um christmas day mass you have um the reading for the nativity um or for the vigil mass you have uh readings for uh, mass at dawn mass during the day and mass at night so that gives us what is that four to like 16 different readings yeah <laughs> so yeah. I and think, i think even some of them are like optional, like it might be, what, like you know, a mass at dawn, but you might you might be able to use. Yeah, like I know. Or um, I've seen I've seen. I know. Yeah, that. I know some parishes will, um, uh, just for convenience sake, um, like have, like the mass of the vigil and at night is the same or right. something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so there's really no way it's, to it's, know. Like if we were trying to, if you're going to mass for Christmas or Christmas Eve, we, I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, know what your readings. I will think be. it's just it's easier for everyone if we just talk thematically about yeah. um, this feast day. So yeah, um, yeah. So let's begin. Um, what are your thoughts about Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's very very exciting. Very exciting. Um, well, so you have from Luke one of the options. This is the mastering the night, mm-hmm. and so you get. The reading from Luke, and it's interesting because it has a kind of historical note. You know, the Luke's Gospel and Acts of the Apostles are, are very historical. Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of details you can nail down. So in the beginning of Luke's Gospel for Christmas Mass at night, 
is this idea of the decree that went out from Caesar Augustus. Yeah. That the whole world should be enrolled. And, you know, that's a, again, that's a historical note. And this is something that scholars will point to as very different than myth. Yeah. Is that this is a historical personage, you know, that it's not a place that take, that these events don't take place outside of time. Mm -hmm. They don't take place in a mythical land. Syria, it talks about the governor of Syria, talks about the town of Nazareth, um, to do, uh, Judea, the, the city of David that is called Bethlehem. Like these are places. They're real tangible places. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is um, one of my favorite options for um, the gospels that are read during Christmas because I, I like Luke's gospel. I, I have an affinity for Luke's gospel. It's very, um, in some sense, yes, like it is tied down to history, absolutely. But there is also a sense of myth uh, in the way that he writes. Uh, Luke being uh, of Greek origin um, and pretty well learned as well uh, has this like um, Greek influence of uh, writing stories. Um, there's almost like a mm-hmm. Homeric um, <laughs> inspiration in the way that he uh, tells the story of Christ. And this inclusion of uh, Caesar Augustus in our um, gospel for a mass at midnight uh, is packed with meaning. Um, first of all, we can establish that um, Christianity is historical, mm-hmm. right? Um, it t- like, as you said, it, t- it takes place uh, not um, divorced from time, um, but it's grounded in reality and history. Uh, and that's very important, you know, as opposed to some more uh, Gnostic ideas of Christianity. Um, we have to establish the historical. It's not an accident. Um, as Benedict would say, or Ratzinger would say, um, the historical actually takes precedent over um, the mystical. Um, and it, it's, it's you know, what would we, we would call the scandal of um, uh, the particular, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um that there is a very specific people or a very specific time and place that Christ, uh, that God entered the world. Um, and so that's what we get with this um, uh, being established immediately, the first line of the gospel. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. That the whole world should be enrolled. Okay, so who is this figure, Caesar Augustus? Um, no, I'm no historian, <laughs> but I've heard that um, Augustus was considered one of the greatest rulers in history period. Mm-hmm. Not just one of the greatest Caesars or right. you know, greatest Roman rulers, greatest leaders in, in, in history, period. It was under him that um, Pax Romana was established. That's right. The Roman peace was established. Um, I believe during his time, um, uh, like there was just a, a lack of wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and as Luke says, he wants to enroll... Um, he wants to enroll, enroll the whole world in a census. And so he, there's this idea of that he's trying to unify the entire world, right? Um, you have the greatest leader uh, where he issued Roman peace, um, wants, wanting to unify the entire world. And that sets the stage up so well for who Christ is, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, under Christ now, uh, we're not just experiencing Roman peace, but we're experiencing peace on earth, right? Yeah. Um, and I can say a lot more about Caesar Augustus, but I don't know if you have any um, anything you want to say. Um, uh, well, building off that idea of Caesar Augustus <clears throat> as a as a great ruler, 
and the Pax Romana. I know some people have connected this to the idea of the fullness of time. You know, in the yes. fullness of time, God sent his son and said, well, what, what, is, what does that mean? Because every age might consider themselves the perfect the, time, the or, fullness of time, right? right? Like, right. We have the internet. Come yeah. on. Like, we have the internet, we have the iPhone. Like, kidding me? You know, so <laughs> now would be a great time. But it, it's actually this fullness of time as, as the perfect conditions for the message of the gospel. Right. So you're right, there was peace. Um, on re- relatively, the borders had been kind of pretty well established. Yeah. You might have some conflicts, but they were very far away. You know, they would be in maybe um, Britain at the, you know, it's just like nowhere right. near. <laughs> sure. So yeah. you're right. So there'd be a lot of peace. Apparently the road systems were beginning to really, That's right. there was a lot of travel. You could get around the empire pretty quickly. Like never before. Like Yeah, like yeah. never before. And Greek was really becoming the language of the empire. Right. You know, you, of course you had Latin, but Greek was really the, the way to communicate ideas. Right. So. Christ comes at a time when the gospel can be spread throughout the empire very quickly yeah. and, and easily. Right. So you have that. Um, also, the idea of Caesar Augustus versus the true king, because Caesar right. Augustus, he wants to enroll the whole world, whereas you, know, you have the coming of Christ, the true king, who is laid in a manger. There's no room for him at the end. Mm-hmm. You must have this kind of juxtaposition of power yep, or of, of worldly power versus um, true power, true yes. heavenly power of the king who can command all of his citizens and unify them, but then you have the true king yeah. who's just in a manger. Yeah, it's There's a, it's no, a no beautiful room. contrast in this um, passage. So just to be clear, it's Luke chapter 2, 1 through 14, um, beginning with this idea of Caesar Augustus as the emperor of the world. Uh, but then ending with this image of a innocent, uh, helpless little child mm-hmm. uh, who's born in a manger. Uh, so you have like the great and the lowly, right? Um, two like polar opposites. Um, and an idea, you know, going with that idea with um, Roman peace, the Pax Romana that um, Augustus established, the last line in our gospel uh, comes from um, the host of angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace is not brought about by Caesar. Mm-hmm. It's brought, brought about by giving God glory. Um, and when, um, when God's favor rests upon you, that's when you can experience peace. No worldly power can give you peace. And that's the whole message of the Christian story mm-hmm. is that um, we can't save ourselves. We are in need of a savior from outside of our human condition. Um, and as much as Augustus was an effective ruler, he could not establish universal, uh, eternal peace. Um, the other interesting thing about Augustus, um, this is probably the last thing I want to say about him before we move on to other ideas. But Augustus was um, the emperor who uh, commissioned the poet Virgil to write the Aeneid. Um, interesting. Yeah, and so what he wanted, what Augustine wanted, uh, Augustus wanted a poem a story, a myth that could tell the Roman po- people who they are. And that's what any myth does. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, just, you know, think about the Greek myths of the, the Iliad or uh, the Odyssey. And uh, in this case, the Aeneid for the Romans, uh, it gives them their identity. And so Augustus, as he's, you know, having such a great career <laughs> in his, in his um, ruling, 
He's like, we need a story. We need a narrative mm-hmm. to tell us who we are. Um, Virgil went on to write the, um, the the great epic, the Aeneid. Um, he's also considered by Dante um, uh, one of the greatest um, uh, poets who ever lived. Um, it was um, an, uh, Virgil who um, wrote that series of po- uh, poems, uh, the Echologues, and in his, um, I think it was his eighth Echologue, um, he um, sings of a child who will be born um, who is um, half man, half God, um, and who will establish peace. A lot of medieval Christians point to that as um, a, a pagan prophecy of Christ. Yeah, right. um, and so this is all happening. This is all happening while Christ is being born. It's, it's very fascinating. And, and how interesting is it that, you know, as Augustus, uh, he uh, commissions Virgil to write a story worthy of Rome. Um, God is crafting a narrative that's worthy of himself, You're right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so as Virgil wrote the Aeneid, God gives us this narrative of Christ who we find our identity in. It's through the Christian story um, that we know who we are. Right, right? Yeah. crafting a um, new identity. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, to understand Christianity as a myth, um, as a myth, myth in this um, classical sense, that it tells us who we are. Um, it's just this really fascinating idea. I think that I think Luke was aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, yes, Luke is writing um, historically, like he's saying, yes, during the reign of Caesar Augustus, this is when what happened. But he's also again writing out of this Greek sensibility of myth, mm-hmm. um, and I think he was aware of this idea of um, Christ being the the new hero in which we all find our peace and our identity. So. Yeah, that, I don't want to stress this point. I don't, or I, I don't want to make this point bigger than it is, but there isn't a political element to the gospel, right? You know, mm-hmm. even the idea of, of the good news, right, as a message from the the emperor, usually, yeah. of like the good news of his kingdom, the good news of his conquering. So you still have uh, that political undertone here of God announcing peace. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, Contra worldly peace, contra the peace that is brought by Caesar, but the peace that is brought by God, right? So there's kind of, there's always a little bit of a kind of a jab, yeah, at the at the ruling right. powers of Rome, right, but. right. Um, and as as is natural, um, again going back to what we were saying in the sacred and profane, um, at the coming of Christ, like you said, he he has brought the sword, mm-hmm. um, and so you're either for his kingdom or against it, ultimately. Um, yeah, so. yeah. Well, that's the message of later in, in the same gospel, the same gospel passage, you have the angels announcing to the shepherds that there's a savior born for you. Mm-hmm. Or, and this is, even that idea could be subversive. subversive yeah. yeah. Of like, Absolutely. That this is not a savior. Because I, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So again, this this announcement of of the the deeds of Caesar is actually now the deeds of God. Right. And these are for all people, not just the Roman citizens, but that this true Savior of Christ, the Lord, has been born. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, and that, and that begs the question naturally, like if this is the new, if this is good news of great joy that will be for all people, where does Caesar fit in that picture? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, right. So, yeah. And so there is, um, 
yeah, if you pay attention, you're absolutely right that there's this um, subversive message um, uh, within this entire gospel passage. Um, so that's, um, I mean, there's so much more to say. I do have, you know, if we're going to go thematically, I do have another um, point connecting to the mass, the readings um, from the mass, I think, I believe it's during the day. Um, let me double check here. Yes. Mass during the day. This is from the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. I don't, do, you, do you have anything else that you want to? Uh, no, no, we can keep going. So, um, in the the gospel passage for um, uh, Mass during the night from Luke, we had this historical context that tied the the reality of the Christian message to Earth, um, but then also um, being you know reminded of the the mythical element, right? Like the history and myth meet mm-hmm. God and man. God became man. That's um, that's tied to that dogma. Um, but in John, uh, we're given um, first we're giving the mythical kind of, and then we're given the historical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, both are present, right? You, you can't have one without the other. Um, but I love how in John one, um, this is the beginning of his gospel. Gospel, um, the prologue to his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him. Without him, nothing came to be. Uh, there's light and darkness. Um, it's very high theology. It's very um, mythical, right? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's not tied to right. um, history right. at the moment. Um, however, after he um, goes through this very um, poetic um, explanation of the nature of God as being in the... like. Um, Christ and the Father, um, the Son and the Father being one in the beginning, um, then he gets into the historical. Um, and even the way it's uh, set up in the gospel, you have, it's almost like it's written like a poem. Um, the way that it's like uh, formatted, um, mm-hmm. it's like the language is very poetic. But then John the Evangelist immediately goes into the historical context. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, a man named John, John the Baptist, man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to testify to the light. Um, and so, and then it goes on to, to talk about John the Baptist. John testified to him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said. Um, and so, while, at, while John's gospel might sound very mythic and very... Um, Intangible, he ties it quickly um, to the historical. John the Baptist is a historical figure, right. um, and so um, yeah, that's uh, that's just I, I think it's really interesting in, in in both these options for readings. You have um, history and myth um, marrying each other, not in conflict with each other. So yeah, this gospel from John is an interesting <laughs> gospel for Christmas, right? Is the ones from Luke talk about the birth His of birth. Christ. And yeah. that makes sense, right? It's Christmas. <laughs> That's yeah. Good. <laughs> Don't need to expand upon that. But then in the Gospel of John, there's this whole thing about the the logos, the word of God, and how it you know existed with God in the beginning and for eternity. And then, you know, he you know, he has a forerunner that comes and testifies to him. So it's like, what does this have to do with Christmas? Mm, you know, what does yeah. this have to do with the birth of the Christ. birth of Christ? Yeah, and 
I think it's I think it still applies here because it says here that all things came to be through him and without him nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life and this life was the light of the human race. The light sh- shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. But that is, that is Christmas, right? Is that the light, the true light of the world. It says um, elsewhere, I think later, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Um, yeah. It, it's that... At Christmas time, it's it's this light, and, it, and it's it's this light that it, that enlightens all all believers. That it's kind of in the light of Christmas that this this spells this this darkness of error that had existed prior. Right. So, it, even though it does sound very preexistent, very very eternal, you yeah. know, kind of said outside of the the realm of of Christmas, but it's actually that this is why he came. This is the whole. Yeah picture is he came to give the true light to the human race yeah yeah that's exactly right i think that um there's an emphasis on just how um how insane that uh, christmas is <laughs> um when you try to understand as much as we're able to um what the logos becoming flesh means mm-hmm. um you know, we, we've had 2,000 years to kind of mull over this idea that God became man. You know, God is born on Christmas Day. Yay, right? <laughs> um, but, like, we have to try and put ourselves into this first century mentality of thinking about, you know, this God, this, again, the eternal logos becomes man. Mm-hmm. Um, it changes everything. Yeah. It changes everything. Um, and it's that that idea of God becoming man that has really birthed Western civilization. Like, you know, we, we are living the way we live in almost every aspect of our lives because of this central doctrine. Oh, yeah, um, right. So... No, um, yeah, it's a something that splits time, right? Yeah. Even in you know, the whole BC, AD, yeah, you know, right. all, all of history it. and yeah. our, the way that we measure time is based off of right. Christmas. Right, um, and Spencer Clavin has been talking a little bit about kind of the... The pagan, or you know, around this time of year, Christmas and Easter, you, you know, the Reddit people come out of the woodwork. It's like it's just a pagan <laughs> holiday, and and Christians, you know, they co-opted it or whatever, yeah. but you know, they didn't really come up with it. And it's like, but that's a that's to fail to grasp what the Christian mystery really is and what the incarnation is, mm-hmm. which is those all those holidays are ours now. They're Christian now. Yeah, it's like. So what? It's like even if you let's, – let's let's take the premise that Christmas was actually about Sol Invictus mm-hmm. and it was a pagan holiday and the Christians just said, no, no, now we're going to celebrate then. Like, okay. Right. Like, Does it make it less true? Like the, re- right. the reason – like, well, we celebrate Christmas now. Yeah. So clearly, like why wasn't – you know, why didn't Sol Invictus win? Why did Christmas win? Right. right. And it's because it it's the true light that enlightens all believers. Yeah. It, the, you know, the this was the light that Sol Invictus was pointing to. Right. Yeah, exactly. And all these mysteries, all the, you know, the ones that can be adopted, were all pointing to this mystery. Yeah. And so the the incarnation radically changes all that. Like I said, it, it's it's it, a mind-blowing mystery yeah. in a way because it, it radically cases, reorient, reorients everything. Yeah, no, exactly. And in some cases, um, that's a great example of like these pagan holidays, um, you know, uh, the incarnation not only um, changes it, but also it, I think we can also say it fulfills them, right? Mm-hmm. 
like yeah. you said, that they were pointing to um, the coming of Christ, even unknowingly, just like Virgil in, in right. you know, serving um, you know, uh, Caesar Augustus. Um, he unknowingly pointed to, to Christ. Um, there's a beautiful um, phrase in, I think it's, um, I think it's uh, the evening prayer one of Christmas, uh, where it goes through like a litany of Christ, and it says, Christ who was proclaimed by the pagans. Um, that's like one oh, of the, yeah. the titles that they yeah. give him. Um, and I just love that idea that even the pagans unknowingly were pointed to Christ. Yeah. Because if we say that Christ became man, that means that he fulfilled all of our longings and desires and imagination, right? Um, he didn't just become man arbitrarily. He he is the fullness of man. Uh, we, like, you know, we, our nature is fulfilled in him. And that means that every aspiration that we had um, in every culture and every time in history was longing for his coming. Yeah. And that, so. that is a unique claim. That is yeah. sui generis. Yeah. Is that Christ came to fulfill and complete religious longing right. and religious desire and practice. That's not the message of Muhammad. Mm-hmm. It's not the message right, was, of Moses. Right. There was a supplanting there. Right. Um, in right. The you, right. It, it, yeah. You either supplant it, you reject it, but there was this idea of it wasn't that, um, you know, when the Israelites went into Canaan, right, mm-hmm. and they saw the prophets of Baal or something like that, they were like, well, what you're really pointing to is the God of Israel. Yeah. It was get rid of these, right. get yeah. rid of them. That's a good point. Whereas, it's true, Christianity does also... Get rid of things. You know, get rid, you know it's yeah. not like, oh, yeah, we'll just take it. We'll just put yeah. it in. But it's, you know, again, Sol Invictus or something, or like God of the Son. It's like, well, Christ is called the Son of Righteousness, you know, and it's in some, sometimes S-U-N right. of Righteousness. Right, the, right. That was one of the O antiphons that we briefly mentioned on our last podcast was the rising sun, the, yeah. the morning star is Christ. Right. So the light that you celebrate in the winter solstice, that kind of in, in shadows and images mm-hmm. is fulfilled now yeah. in, in, in reality. Exactly. That's a, radi- that's a different claim. That's a very different claim than I think of any religion I can think of right. off right. the top of my head. Yeah. Is that their central yeah. figure actually incorporates that. And that's, that's why we can incorporate Greek philosophy. Right. It, which was often at odds with myth or the surrounding religions or, um, you know, in, in in Islam, philosophers often got in trouble mm-hmm. because they they right. came to conclusions that said, oh, wait a second, right. you know. And you think of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, right? The Socrates yeah. kind of gets in trouble for that, right? right. He's kind of right. like, wait by a their, second. Like, his religious leaders. Right. And I believe Averroes and Avicenna, those Muslim thinkers, were also kind of outcast from their Yeah, they were. Too. Yeah. You know, Averroes and Avicenna, and was, isn't there another Avicenbron or something like that? Or is that oh. just another? Uh, there might, yeah. I, Averroes and Avicenna we'll are just popular say, ones. Yeah, we'll just yeah. we'll keep with them. <laughs> In the West, they're actually more venerated because they, yeah, right. they have these Arabic commentaries and, and, and translations and such of, of Aristotle, and yeah. they come into the, they come West in the, 11th and 14th or 11th and 12th century and everyone's like oh my gosh like this is this is amazing like you know we have all these writings like there you have thomas aquinas and bonaventure reading arabic writers and incorporating their thought and their first thought is not to just outright reject it but they're like look how much of this can fit into our understanding of christianity right um again going with this idea of incorporation just um a couple weeks ago uh, during advent we heard 
the second reading, Paul saying, test everything, yeah. right? Um, and it's that idea, um, that idea that um, uh, we can incorporate ideas, not just yeah. um, throw them out right yeah. away, throwing the baby ale out with the bathwater. So. But there's there Arabic commentators. I, I don't know if they were officially exiled or officially k- killed, but they were not they were not beloved. No, they, no, in, in they their community because yeah. they were they were they were doing philosophy and they were kind of like wait a second like this isn't really matching up like there's yeah. there's problems here. Yeah, and of course that happens in the West as well. Sure, there, there's a, of but course, yeah, there's multiple kind of ways around it. It's is this philosophy wrong in and of itself? Mm-hmm. Is where's it coming from, or is is the application to revelation wrong? You know, it's right. a whole whole different. Um, there's many different reasons why there might be, but by and large, you know, Augustine, you know, sees Platonic neo Platonic or Neoplatonic thought and says, "Wait a second, we we may be able to use this." Yeah. That's that's a little philosophy excursion there. But. No, no, but I think it all fits in with this um, the 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 themes within Christmas that the Word became flesh. Word, of course, translated going back to philosophy, logos, right? Um, like all the, the eternal idea, <laughs> the eternal um, inherent logic of all things yeah. becomes flesh. Yeah, and that's why you can kind of – he can draw all these elements yeah. and, and these pagan festivals to himself as he's now the center yeah. of, of the universe. The, the You know, as St. John says in the beginning of his gospel here, all things came to be through him. Yeah. And without him, nothing came to be. So in a sense – Sol Invictus came to be through him, yeah. In right, in yeah, in, yeah, in a yeah. in a imperfect sense, and I'm not saying yeah. that Christ is actually a pagan god, <laughs> but <laughs> no, right, right. But you know, it's it, you know perhaps through sin, perversely tr- you know translates that that festival or that feast. But he now that he's here, he can draw these scattered images back, right? Exactly. Himself. Exactly. Um, and of course, you know uh, the idea that. Um, God becomes man in our world, sanctifies the world too. And so we see the inherent goodness of um, creation as well. Um, if, as my professor once said, um, if um, reality can bear the weight of the divine, then that means that there is an inherent goodness of reality. Um, and so we can see the world as sanctified now. It's like, you know, this is, this is the place where God dwells. You know, God's dwelling is with the human race. Well, yeah, um, that's what it says right here. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Yeah, right? exactly. You know? And so that means that that this world is now a vehicle for salvation in a sense too. Um, like he's come to redeem the world entirely, not just humanity, but all of creation. And so even things like suffering and death, which, you know, before Christ's coming can seem to have no meaning, how has been redeemed by his own death, you know, which is to come. Um, and so we can find meaning in that, you know, we can find hints of the divine in that. Um, yeah, it, it really, this feast touches every part of reality. So, Yeah, I mean, still sticking on the same gospel, it says here, um, he gave power to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Uh, I think it's this line yeah. that St. John of the Cross interprets as to become children of God is also to participate in God himself and you know, to become deified. Right, yeah. So part of the incarnation, you know, you're keeping with the motif that John 1 is in fact a Christmas gospel. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Is the incarnation, God became man so that we can we may become God. Right. I think it's, yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. I think that 
keep with that theme and and what St. John the Cross is saying is that the incarnation is actually so that you too may be. Right. Sons of God. Sons of God. Exactly. You, you too may participate in God. Yeah. That's um, exactly. part of the this this feast. So think about that when you're opening up your Lego or <laughs> your Xbox or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever your you book, got. new yeah. Christmas sweater, whatever it is you got, <laughs> that this feast is about being deified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's about experiencing Becoming theosis. God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're under the Christmas tree, you know, with the gifts, it's like, I'm supposed to become God. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> Would God build this Lego? Right. Would you he know? play Xbox? <laughs> yeah. That's... No, that's that's a very good point. That that, that um, the idea of children of God, then of son of God, is actually equatable with um, Godhood itself. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, like we know from nature that. Things beget those the species a certain species begets the same species, right? A dog does not beget a cat. Dog begets dog, right? And so to say someone is a son of something means that you should partake in that nature right. that begot you. So yeah, that's a yeah. that's a that's a really good point because sometimes I think children of God, you, you know, all right, it's like yeah, cutesy yeah, title, yeah, or whatever. Right, yeah. it's like you know God <laughs> is kind of taking care of all of us, and we're just like little kids. Right, right. it's like well, actually, at a higher level. Yeah. It's exactly what you said. It's to participate in the nature of God. Yeah. Not just to kind of be one of his little children. Right. That he, you know, takes care of when they and fall pats down. Pats on the head and whatever. Right. Yeah. It's like actually it's a serious call yeah. to be transformed in God. Exactly. And, and and John has kind of set that up in his gospel of talking about the word and the logos and um, the word becoming flesh. We saw his glory, um, all this heavy language of God. Uh, we're made to partake in that very thing. So, yeah. Nice. Good stuff. Um, do you, it's funny, the second reading for the uh, Mass during the day is yeah. from the first letter of Hebrews. I'm sorry, first letter of Hebrews. There's only one letter of Hebrews. Um, <laughs> Hebrews chapter one is yes. what I meant. It's funny, we were just talking about this the other day with some friends. Um, I mentioned, yeah, that's right. I, I mentioned this. That's right. Uh, this is another one that, if you couple this with the with John, it gets pretty heavy because here he so the letter or the author to the Hebrews is setting up an argument as to why perhaps um his audience may be Jewish Jewish believers in this context, why you should believe in the revelation of Christ. And he's setting up an argument. So he says here, in past times, God spoke in partial and various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he made heir of all things and through whom he created the universe. So that's like almost verbatim what we read from John, mm-hmm. that this idea that there's a final revelation, that God is not speaking in veiled terms anymore. Yeah. He's, he's on full display. We, we saw his glory, as St. John says. Um, but also he made him heir of all things and through whom he created the universe. So again, you have this idea of the centrality of Christ. You have Christ as the center of the universe um, that bridges, you know, St. Bonaventure would say, he bridges the finite and the infinite, yeah. you know, the created and the uncreated. So, you know, Christ is the archetype of, of creation. Mm-hmm. And then you get here, Christ who is the very imprint of his being, the Father's being imprint. Mm. It's like this... Archetypal language. Like it's seal almost. Yeah, yeah the yeah. seal. Like right. exactly. Because that's when you get into the letter of Hebrews, Hebrews it's very platonic. Yeah. So whoever wrote this letter 
was very educated in, yes, in, in philosophy, philosophy yeah. of his of his time because yep. he it's if you read the letter throughout again it's type and archetype it's imprint it's shadow and right. and realities all all these kind of platonic ideas yeah are, are scattered throughout and also you get the idea of Christ as the archegos the the founder the forerunner and that's also from Greek myth so yeah. whoever he was new philosophy new myth um but his argument is here for for which of the angels did God ever say, "You are my son; this day I have begotten you"? Or again, "I will be a father to him; and he shall be a son to me." Right. And again, when he leads the firstborn into the world, he says, "Let all the angels of God worship him." So he's making the argument: if you believed in the covenants mediated by angels, how much more right. should you believe in the covenant yeah. mediated by God? Exactly. Himself. Exactly. And but, this um, kind of you know, this is a great um, passage to show anybody who's struggling with um, Arianism. <laughs> yeah. Um, right, like he is, this person of Christ is fully God. Uh, he's not an angel or anything, like, you know, that's yeah. kind of in between God and man. Um, you know, the hypostatic union is the fullness of man and the fullness of God. Yeah. He says um, that uh, when he accomplished purification from sins, he took his seat at the right hand of the majesty on high, far superior. Yeah. As far superior to the angels. Exactly. Yep. I, I think it's when I took my letter to the Hebrews class. I think it's Mormonism believes that Jesus appeared in the. I, I want to say appeared in the form of an angel, appeared in the form of an archangel, okay. uh, Michael. But I think it's might be Gabriel that in the Annunciation to Mary, that was actually Jesus, oh. but in the form of an angel. Really? Okay. And. Our teacher was saying that this is a passage you can point to. to Just say no. that Jesus was not. This is here far superior to the angels. I think there's he lots of not. passages you can point to. In the yes, <laughs> yeah. This is certainly yeah, that's, Mormonism. That's true. <laughs> but you don't. Um, yeah, you get your own planet though. Yeah, that's another. I know, that's we'll, we'll talk about the, the yeah the, the attractiveness of Mormonism. Some of that. Oh man. But yeah, no, you're right. It is a good passage to say Christ is not. An angel, he's not in the appearance of an angel, but he's he's greater than. Yeah. But um, I I do like though the beginning where he says God kind of spoke to us in partial ways, but yeah. part of the feast of Christmas is the full revelation. Yeah, of God. exactly. And uh, yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Nice. Um, let's see here. First readings. Yeah, they're all typological. Yes. <laughs> talking about the. The coming of of Christ. The the first reading from Mastering the Night that has a bit of the theme of kind of reversals, right? People who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Yes, there's a lot of coming light from Isaiah. Yeah, yeah. light symbolism. Um, I think you also have the titles of of Christ too. Yes, uh, Wonder Counselor, God, Hero, Father, Forever, Prince of Peace. Um, yeah, you have here the. The rod of the taskmaster you have smashed. Um, every boot trampled in battle. Every cloak rolled in blood will be burned as fuel. So you have kind of, um, that's actually a, a good connection to, we were talking about Caesar Augustus. I just and, thought and, of that. Yeah, yeah. And the difference, right? Yeah. yeah. Is This is not about the taskmaster, you know, beating his servants yeah. to war or the cloak rolled in blood you know, or the boot that goes, that tramples on to war. It's actually... Dominion will rest with a child, yeah, and and this child will be the wonder counselor, God hero, 
That's a good one. Yep. It's a good title, God Hero. God, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> Prince of Peace. You know, that, that like that's in his dominion will be forever and forever. This is vast and forever peaceful. Yeah. So it's, it's not a dominion of worldly power. Right. A rejection of that, actually. Yep. And an imagery of a child, too. Of course, you know, we, Christmas Day, being born in a manger. But then Isaiah talking about a child is born to us. Um, you know, going back to the ecologues of Virgil that I mentioned briefly about um, a, a child who will be born to um, establish peace. Um, the image of a child is, one, is, is an image of hope, right? Um, because it, it shows yeah. that the future will be peaceful. Um, you know, he will, um, like now he's a child, but in the future he will reign. Yeah. Um, so little babies and, and hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's true. The, the child is a, is a symbol of ar- hope. Yeah, symbol or archetype of hope of, yeah. of the next generation has come. Exactly. And, and, you know, when you see children, you think of pure potentials. Like yeah, it, exactly. It could be anything, you know, right. like who knows what. You could be a what, child of God. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You, yes. You could, you could participate in the nature of yes. God. You know? <laughs> yep. You know, it's just like, yeah, their their future is open to them and you have nothing but hope that what they'll do in the future is exactly. good. So it's about right. the future. Yeah. Any other thoughts or what are you thinking or um no. Ready to drink some eggnog, honestly. I haven't ha- I have not had eggnog this season yet. So Yeah, neither have I. I'm thinking about um making some hot buttered rum. Oh. My mom used to make it. it yeah, it's, yeah. it's good. I found okay. a, I found a nice recipe. Really? Yeah, it's you can actually almost like make it in batches. Okay. So you you have you kind of make the hot buttered rum mix. Yeah. And you put it in a jar and then you just take hot water and rum and you put you just kind of, kind of you can almost like scoop out the mix and, okay. and, and mix it and put it in your your glass and mix it. So I, sounds, I might do that. That sounds good. That way it sounds like we have batch made you, people can just kind of make it as they right. as they want. As they go. It's yeah. very it's very cozy. Okay. It's very like you just I'm, have a sip. Of I'm it ready for the cozy. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> you just have a sip. And you're just like I just want to chill. I don't want to go anywhere. So yeah, I'm ready for eggnog. Ready for that. Yeah. Some Christmas beer. Yeah. A blanket. Yeah. A, bl- a, <laughs> weighted, for a, blanket. a weighted blanket. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, thank you so much for listening. We'll, I guess, we'll see you in the new year. Have a merry Christmas, and. Well, no. We have before we get to the new year. Yeah, we, we have not one not, more no, Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Not not um, the new year. Well, it will be after Christmas. Yeah, it'll be Christmas time. But we do have one more episode. You're right. Yeah, we have the Holy the Family. Year. Yep. So no, we won't see you in the new year just yet. <laughs> not just yet. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. One more. <laughs> one more episode. Okay. Either way, have a great Christmas. Thank you for listening.